Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. Thought we'd return to Ukraine and talk a little bit about what's going on there. We haven't we haven't been there for a while. Um, Russia is still involved there. Um, I think Austin, you sent me something that it's been six years since Russia has taken over uh, Crimea. Uh, Jim, what is the current situation in Ukraine? Well, about a year ago, uh, they elected a, a reformer president, a, uh, a <laughs> an actor who's also a lawyer, uh, and uh, that people felt, you know, well, we might as well, the experts, the veterans have not done much good, so let's try somebody fresh and new. And uh, in his first year, which is not quite over, I think it's April when he took over, um, he has indeed, uh, as the old saying goes, uh, democracies always do the right thing, usually after they've uh, exhausted every other possibility. Um, and uh, he went through that list. He tried doing it the nice way. He tried cooperating with these uh, basically uh, dysfunctional uh, deep state, as we call it here in the, in the United States. Um, and uh, he apparently has decided, you know, all right, let's try plan B, which means he's going for structural constitutional uh, reforms in the law because one of the big problems in going after corruption is that the uh, legal system, which is a mishmash of the uh, Soviet era, you know, <laughs> we decide the verdict before you, you know, go to court, um, with a basically an archaic, uh, non-functional, basically a system where anybody with enough money and uh, basically to bribe people or intimidate uh, can uh, bog down a prosecution forever. So, you know, people are very angry that none of the, uh, while a lot of big shots have been indicted, none of them are coming close to being convicted and put away or punished in any way, shape, or form, other than the extra expense and hassle of delaying the court proceedings. Uh, but you can hire people to do that. Uh, the other problem he has is the um, uh, is the economics of Ukraine. That is round, wound up in the way they, uh, the assets were distributed after the uh, separation from Russia. Uh, he has started the process of basically... Uh, Re, uh, you know, reprivatizing a lot of uh, state, uh, still state-owned uh, assets, and doing it in a way that is not going to basically put them in the pockets of the oligarchs, as he, as they're called, uh, at bargain prices. Uh, he's aware of all these things. I mean, that's the one thing that keeps his popularity up, although it's gone down from 74% to 49%. But still, considering all his problems. Uh, he's still a popular guy, most popular politician in Ukraine, which is not saying much, but he's at the top of that, that list. Um, he has basically made changes in his own staff. He had a chief of staff who was part of the problem, so he's been replaced with a new guy who has a better pedigree, as it were. We'll see if he's any better in actual action. Um He's given up on trying to negotiate with Putin because Putin just basically blows smoke and and says no 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 you got to give me uh, legally give me part of the half of uh, Donbass that we've already captured. Uh, there's a serious problem in the Donbass in that well Putin keeps his people fighting 
literally most of the soldiers at the front are either uh, Russian or, uh, you know, Russian military or guys who have basically accepted, you know, a Russian paycheck and are, are generally loyal. They have no choice because Putin went went to old Stalin uh, when he started getting pushback from the, uh, the, the first few years, the, the rebels, a lot of them were. Uh, Donbass residents who said, hey, yeah, let's be independent. Let's play off your Russia versus Ukraine and and get rich. Uh, These guys, he had assassinated one by one. Uh, Well, as many as necessary until the rest of them fell in line. So uh, not only is he doing that with the local leadership he's installed, but he's replacing a lot of the local officials in his Donbass uh, with Russians. Uh, he's basically allowed people to use Russian passports. He's almost insisting on it. Uh, he's allowing more uh, Russians to migrate to uh, Donbass because about half the population has left, either fled to Russia or basically went to Ukraine. Um, but uh, at the same time, Putin is recruiting as many people as he can in Donbass uh, to be uh, agents of the uh, the you know the secret police and spies, and that is making the Ukraine very angry because they keep arresting a lot of them, but a lot of them don't get arrested. So Ukraine is full of you know Russian agents, and that irritates people no end, and certainly complicates matters. Um, but so far, Zelensky has been receptive. Uh, he's willing to change. He has made a lot of changes, uh, but not the ones that count most with people. I mean, the economy's only growing about three, four percent this year. Uh, he promised seven, um, but the economy hasn't gone down the tubes. Uh, so people still have, you know, hopes that you know they voted for the right guy. He's just got to get his act together. Uh, at the moment, Putin has got bigger problems. I mean, uh, not only has he acknowledged there's a stalemate in Donbass, uh, you know, he's got a basically disloyal population. He, he's picked out loyalists. They put in a lot of Russians to try and make sure he has control. There's no rebellion among the rebellion. Uh, but uh, at the same time, you know, uh, Putin is losing all over. Uh, he's now at war with Turkey in both Syria and uh, Libya, that's ironic. I mean, he's technically an ally with uh, the Turks, but the Russians are killing uh, uh, Turks in uh, Syria as well as Libya. Isn't that a change of pace? Uh, the Turks at the same moment are going to war with Europe, which is nothing new. Uh, they're, they're threatening to unleash the uh, three-some-odd million uh, Syrian refugees who he was bribed by the European Union to uh, staying within his borders, uh, so he's unleashing the uh, the refugee weapon, um, and that just adds to the Russian problems because they're getting blamed with this uh, by a lot of Europeans. Um, and in fact, Putin is finally being blamed by a lot of people who gave him a uh, you know, except maybe in the United States, uh, for his shenanigans in the past. Uh, and it's all coming home to roost. In other words, he's he's got a lot of bets he can't pay, a lot of problems he can't fix, and new ones are popping up every day. But that doesn't help Ukraine much because it is expensive for Russia to keep to maintain their presence in Ukraine. I mean, that is that is a not insignificant uh, expense. Uh, we're talking billions of dollars a year, and they never got the money. I mean, their economy's uh, anemic. Uh, they still have an enormous corruption problem. They still have all the sanctions. Uh, the low oil prices, probably more than anything else, it's always the price of oil that's been the curse of uh, Russia in the last century. Um, 
And that's not getting any better. The corruption within Russia is epic and debilitating. Uh, and the Russians are probably more disappointed with Putin uh, than they are with, and the Ukrainians are with Zelensky. Uh, so it's a stalemate uh, with uh, Ukraine making slow but uh, not sufficient progress so far. Uh, Zelensky's got a few more years, you know, to to turn things around. And if he gets some traction this year, which he's aware of, I mean, let's face it, he is a smart guy. Being a performer, uh, he had a hit TV show about a accidental Ukrainian president. So, I mean, that's another, you know, game within a game. Uh, but he is able to get in front of an audience and, and make his case, you know, uh, succinctly and convincingly. Uh, so he has that going for him. And he still has the trust of most Ukrainians. But they want... They want results. <laughs> Who can blame them? Uh, but he's the only hope they got right now. And uh, and of course, the, mean, meanwhile, the uh, the corrupt politicians, uh, businessmen, and what have you, they're basically on Russia's side. They say, "Hey, you know, we'll outweigh this little twerp, and we'll get back to the old ways of of plundering with impunity, without any fear of somebody, you know, spoiling our our lucrative operation." Uh, Zelensky does also have a problem with the what they call the intelligentsia. That's always a problem, especially in Eastern Europe. Uh, they look down on him because he's a performer, even though he's a lawyer and obviously a successful politician. Where have we heard that before? But anyway, he um, he uh, uh, he is, like I say, the only hope they've got. Uh, the opposition in the Ukraine is for minorities, i.e., you know, the corrupt, you know, oligarchs and uh, the corrupt, you know, bureaucracy. Uh, that that's something he has to he has to can only clear out uh, with uh, the uh, majority of parliament he's got that he can that, can, that actually enact. Uh, those kind of measures. What he wants to avoid, though, is putting so much power in the presidency uh, that he will basically create a Frankenstein monster that, you know, uh, uh, in the future will you know turn on uh, Ukraine. So he's trying to institutionalize uh, the changes, for example, cleaning up the uh, judiciary and the, and the legal processes uh, to make the the trials fair but expeditious. Uh, cut out all the uh, the the BS, really, the nonsense, the uh, you know, just just the rules, the the massive rules in the legal system currently that allows uh, somebody who's guilty of sin uh, to delay judgment, you know, indefinitely. Uh, somebody in Ukraine's past, you know, read the the House of uh, Usher, I believe it was, whatever, what that classic novel about the uh, lawsuit that goes on perpetually. Um, they can't afford that sort of thing. It, it's it's a luxury no country should have to endure. Um, uh, so he's moving in the right direction, not fast enough. One thing he's got going for him is Russia's in worse shape. But again, uh, Putin would lose enormous face if he backed away. And return his the stolen parts of Ukraine, uh, Ukraine to Ukraine, uh, and that will take a lot longer. Austin, well, let, let me make a, a couple of points or expand on a couple of points uh, Jim made about Zelensky, the uh, president of Ukraine. Look, the guy really is an intellectual. He's accomplished in in in, in several in several areas. Some of the bias against him that Jim uh, mentioned. Among so-called intellectuals in uh, in Ukraine, I th- I think some of that is is jealousy because just he 
uh, his, his his parents are educated. Uh, he's highly highly educated, and he's got something that that the that his uh, opponents don't have charisma. He can get on stage too and give an impromptu uh, stand up comedy routine. He's he's got uh, he <laughs> don't connect that immediately to politics. That's just a skill, and one of the hardest things to do in entertainment is stand-up comedy with nothing except uh, your voice, your face, your hands and arms, uh, uh, and the like. There are very few people that really have uh, have that talent. Zelensky and Jim already pointed this out. He understands <laughs> that corruption saps, damages uh, Ukraine. All right, it's been endemic to... <laughs> vast portions of the world, politicians uh, graft everywhere. Yeah, I'll mention it. We have it here in the United States through certain kinds of foundations that are really just fronts for laundering money to get it to uh, uh, to politicians. But in the, the lands that were once the, the Soviet Union, you've got, and Jim touched on this too uh, as well, the phenomenon of the former nomenclatura, KGB, communist operatives, just took control of state assets and then continued to operate in the way that they had already uh, were operating, which was they were crooked. And that, uh, <clears throat> that didn't change in Ukraine, though. Again, to Ukraine's credit, in 1994-95, there were reformers. They had another, their, their, what was it, Orange Revolution, I think, 2004, 2000, that's, I think that was the, the, the name of it. Another move by reformers. And they were always undermined. And that's, it's, it's not that Russia hasn't, hasn't had those impulses. Uh, Yeltsin had those impulses. But they didn't, there, there wasn't a, a, significant enough of the active activist politically active uh, uh, populace to uh, ad, uh, to advance it Ukraine has shown signs of that those those modern uh, square uh, 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 protests that that uh, can uh, that continued and ultimately uh, toppled the the uh, pro-Russian uh, uh, regime. Uh, that's it's some of it has to do with its their proximity, the the western half's proximity to Poland. They know what Poland has managed to do since the end of the Cold War. Yes, Poland's got its problems. Poland's got uh, corruption, but Poland has also uh, turned its economy around and. Uh, they sit there and think, if our neighbors can do it, we can do it as well. Of course, that is a, a, an economic virus. There's the democracy virus, to go back to Jim's wisecrack about China fearing Hong Kong's democracy virus. That's a virus that the Russian oligarchs fear, which is, hey, wait a minute, if Poland can do it, <laughs> well, everybody else in Eastern uh, Europe uh, uh, can do it as well. Now, uh, yeah, Dan, I did. I forwarded you and Jim a, a uh, State Department uh, press statement that I'd gotten an email on February 27th. By the way, we're recording this on February 28th, and that was uh, it was uh, 
mentioning the Russian invasion of Crimea, which occurred at the at the tail end, depending on which day, uh, day you think the special forces made their first move uh, uh, in, in in Crimea, it was the 24th to 25th of February 2014, and the first announcement of we want to annex Crimea was made on the 27th of February, 2014. The official announcement doesn't come till mid-March when Putin announces the annexation, I think it was March 18th, uh, in, in Red Square. Uh, you know, big hoopla, and he's, he's popular as he can be. He's recovered Crimea from other, uh, uh, from other Russia. Of course, in the process, he set off this war, and Jim's already discussed the way it is now. It's draining draining Russia's already uh, uh, fragile uh, uh, economy. Uh, right now, and Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, even though they've got uh, Russian troops in there, what minimal casualties the pro-Russian forces are taking, it's no longer Russian soldiers doing it because they got him in, in, in trouble. Is that, is that right? That's pretty much the case. He's, he's got uh, yeah, even though they- even though they've been controlling the internet, they can't hide funerals. In other words, there's yeah. the old saying goes, you can't hide a dead body. Yeah. Uh, well, unless you were a complete communist state. Well. Uh, and and uh, you're right. Putin had to recognize that reality. And so he's poured more money, which they haven't got, into recruiting locals and having Russians down there. It's the old KGB routine. Uh, the KGB is behind the front lines ready to execute any traitor. So they're they're really going old school. So, so he's got he's got he's got the the, the you know a, a cannon fodder buffer in this. But but Dan, I I went back uh, maybe ten minutes before we uh, started the podcast and looked at uh, a column I wrote in 2018 about the violent stagnation in uh, in Eastern Ukraine. That's really been the case. Since the fall of 2014, the Russians the Russians start their anti-Ukraine war, a war in Ukraine, uh, their pseudo liberation war in Ukraine. April by May 2014, it's rolling, and they do make some advances. U- Ukraine has no real military forces. Uh, Ukraine uh, is, is is vulnerable. We have a, a one documented uh, case of a Russian regular army uh, tank unit crossing the border and shooting up uh, one of the few border towns where there had been some resistance with, and then went back uh, went back across the border. I mean, the absolute. The slam dunk case of uh, uh, of a uh, cross border raid by a regular army uh, regular army force. I forget when when that happens during the summer, but there's it's it, it occurred, and but then by September October of 2014, it's already bogged down. Uh, the Ukrainian uh, really national guards, volunteers, and, and what small uh, regular forces they have, uh, m- managed to hold uh, in the western part of the Donbass. One of the things that's going on is Poland is supplying on, it, on its own, out of its uh, own uh, uh, war reserves, ammunition, uh, small arms, and the like, 
and very, very, very limited other support from Western Europe and the United States. As a matter of fact, uh, the Obama administration wasn't going to provide any uh, war material. We do begin to supply some uh, food assistance and and uh, uh, and medical aid, but uh, Poland is providing just enough to the Ukrainians that they managed to hold the line. And one of the big drives, though, that the Russians were trying to do was drive through a, a town, I'm going to mispronounce it, Maripol, which is a, a uh, port on the Sea of Azov, which is that uh, little, it's an extension of the Black Sea on the uh, eastern side of the Crimean uh, Peninsula. If they could take that, then they get to the neck of the Crimean Peninsula, and they have a, a land route to, to Crimea, and they thought that would seal the deal. Never managed to do it, despite bringing in artillery. Uh, yes, they were supposedly Russian or pro-Russian separatist volunteers, but they were manned by uh, Russian army uh, artillerymen, uh, both tube and rocket artillery. Some of the rocket artillery, according to what uh, I read, I, Jim wrote about it too, seemed to be actually positioned inside Russia, but it had sufficient uh, sufficient range to, uh, some of it was positioned inside Ukraine. But uh, the, the Russians would say, no, we've just got this set here to, to def- defend our own borders. It was absolutely, uh, uh, you know, see-through uh, propaganda, but it was something that uh, Russians primarily directed uh, at their, it was it was for domestic consum- uh, domestic consumption, so stagnant, <laughs> stagnating violence. Uh, that's been the case, really, since the end of 2014, and it continues now, where you had a series. It's almost like a sine wave. Uh, violence would cre- creep up, uh, increase, peak, then lapse again. There would be a peace agreement. There have been four, five serious or semi-serious attempts to really uh, have a, a peace agreement, get a ceasefire that works. But typically after every one of the ceasefires, within three or four days, you'd have reports mostly coming through Ukraine, but then also from international uh, reporters, because they could, they could get in, in, into Ukraine, of sniping incidents, mortar attacks, um, someone firing an RPG at a, uh, at a car, and as Jim said, also assassinations. One just some of the ones that uh, Jim was talking about uh, getting rid of the, uh, the Russians, uh, getting rid of, of some of the troublemakers on their side, they also targeted and shot the, some genuine moderate leaders uh, a couple of mayors in the uh, uh, Ukrainian mayors in the Ukrainian towns that were uh, promoting uh, negotiations, ticking off the uh, Ukrainians, but they were uh, murdered under uh, circumstances that suggested that they were killed by uh, uh, Russian operatives. They didn't want uh, somebody that would uh, negotiate, uh, uh, try to negotiate a deal. Uh, with, uh, 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 with the Ukrainians, so there was uh, I mean, rampant crime uh, uh, on t- on top of it. Um, what 
Russia wants now. Jim's touched on that. They want to try to find a way to save face. I'm, uh, I wonder how that could possibly be, uh, uh, be, in, be engineered. Uh, the, the Putin's regime, uh, uh, would it survive a, a withdrawal? I don't think so. Uh, does Russia have any intention of giving back the Crimean Peninsula? And that State Department uh, e- uh, press release that I sent you and Jim talks about the uh, illegal occupation of Crimea because the United States never r- recognized it, nor has has has, has, has Ukraine. Uh, doesn't go into detail on that, but we certainly have on strategy page the Budapest Accords of uh, 1994 were supposed to, uh, that, was, that was a deal where Ukraine gave Russia uh, all of its nuclear weapons with guarantees of territorial integrity. And uh, it was co-signed by the United States, Clinton administration, and uh, Great Britain. Now, was it a treaty per se? Not in the legal definition of a treaty, but it was a, uh, the way it was, it was a shaping document, a fundamental document that brought stability to Eastern Europe, where that had been either parts of the former Soviet Union, Soviet Socialist Republics, Ukraine was one, or also in the case, some of the other Warsaw Pact nations. And it was, here's the deal. We don't want the nukes, the Ukrainians said, but we want to be assured that we're not going to face a conventional war. And that, Putin's government in 2014 just absolutely shredded that, saying we've got the power to move and we're going to move and we're going to take Crimea. Now, are they going to give it back? Uh, Jim wrote a... uh, an update at the end of uh, December 2019 that uh, a long, large part of that uh, update was about the uh, bridge over the Kerch Strait, K-E-R-C-H, that connects Russia across the Sea of Azov to directly to Crimea. They've got a road. You know, I imagine it's somewhat uh, like a, a large bridge for with a American interstate crossing the Mississippi River, and uh, they don't have to. Uh, they don't have to have Maripol now in order to have a a quote unquote land connection uh, to Crimea. The Russian government has made a huge deal out of uh, building that bridge. Uh, and it uh, provided providing that connection. So, to get back to what, how, how, how does this end? What's the end game? Jim's also already discussed the uh, repopulation, population movement of bringing in, uh, allowing Russians to uh, citizens to move in into the Donbass. It looks like they've got it, but at the same time. They've created a condition of uh, instability, instability and grievance that's not going to go away for three or four decades, if uh, if if even then. And they've also created a condition where, by shredding that 1994 uh, agreement, trading nuclear weapons for uh, territorial uh, security, by by doing that. They have uh, opened uh, Pandora's box 
uh, not just <laughs> Pandora's box, for territorial expansion. I mean, uh, some of the things the, the Chinese have done is uh, uh, it was May of 2014 when they started beating up on the Vietnamese again on, uh, uh, on uh, uh, grabbing Vietnamese maritime uh, uh, territory because it had uh, signs of oil and, ga uh, uh, oil and gas. Uh, and I, I started calling it the, the, the Crimean uh, uh, pr precedent. Uh, there, if you if you do that, you're in uh, you're in a world where uh, that land used to belong to my great 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 grandfather. I want it now. Uh, to, to be fair about this, even though I don't want to be fair to Putin, they point to 1999 in Kosovo and say that's the Kosovo precedent that NATO stepped in and uh, that internal war with Serbia with uh, its Kosovar uh, Albanians to quote-unquote prevent a genocide by the Serbs against the Kosovar uh, Albanians. Kosovo is now a, uh, a separate country. And they said that is, uh, that's the precedent. There are real differences between what happened in Kosovo and what happened with Crimea and and the Donbass in in 2014. But uh, the Russian propaganda machine is is able to uh, use that as uh, its uh, historical historical justification. I'll leave, it, is, I'll leave it this, there. Yeah, Jim. this is this is an old scan. I mean, what started World War II? Uh, German claims on territory they had lost after World War One, or territory they never had, like half of Czechoslovakia, where you had a German population. I mean, there was also a German immigrant population from several centuries ago. Uh, you know, along the Volga River. You know, at one point the Russians offered Germans their free land, come, you know, like yada yada, and that sort of worked out economically. And and <laughs> after after the Cold War ended, uh, West Europe, uh, the United Germany decided to let these these uh, these uh, these Volga Russians return, which many of them eagerly did because they wanted to get the hell out of Russia. But when they hit Germany, they realized they were Russians. I mean, they had German ancestors, but they had been Russified. Some of them spoke, you know, a a very a very accented uh, a form of German. But you know, that's what happens. As the old saying goes, you can't go home again. Um, but this has been a this has been a a, a causes belly, a cause for wars, you know, for centuries. Uh, oh, we're helping out our countrymen. Um, and uh, I mean, this is what the you know the Islamic radicals are talking about. Uh, you know, Spain belongs to us. Sure, we lost it 500 years ago, but it's ours. I mean, we conquered, we stole a fair and square, you know, from the, uh, from the, uh, you know, the post-Roman Empire, you know, Franks. Uh, but once we did it, because we're the, we're the, we're the true religion, it belongs to us. So, I mean, there's any, any, any manner of variations that is basic rhetoric, but Basically, it's right. Right, it might makes right. Uh, sure, we're bullies, but you know what are you going to do about it? Uh, and that's basically one of the problems uh, with uh, with peace all over the world. In fact, I did a book back in the '80s called "How to Stop a War," and part of it was examining all the wars that had occurred in the previous 200 years. And we had this big chart, which is still valid. Uh, and it, we found out that the the primary cause, the most common cause 
of wars. And that two, two, uh, two century period was real estate. People wanted land. Uh, whether they whether they really were you know entitled to it or not, that started the fighting, uh, and the war ended up usually ends up costing a lot more than whatever you gained from it. Uh, but there it is, and it's playing itself out in Eastern Europe as expected. You know, after the uh, the, the Soviet Union, the only communist countries collapsed because a lot of them, most spectacularly in Yugoslavia, uh, were basically. Uh, uh, multi-ethnic states uh, where the sense of nationalism among the different ethnicities was uh, was still very strong and you needed a basically a totalitarian police state uh, which is one thing the communists perfected nothing else um, to basically suppress but they couldn't destroy uh, that nationalism and as soon as the communist government was gone uh, the politicians started to invoke, you know, our people and our land. And you had, throughout the 90s, you had the fighting going on in uh, in Yugoslavia. As Austin point out, points out, you know, it was different. It's not like Ukraine. Uh, I mean, the Ukrainians voted, as it were, uh, even the ones in Donbass, to get out of the Soviet Union. They didn't want to be part of the empire any, anymore. But the empire never forgets. Uh, and now the empire is coming back for you. Same thing with China. I mean, I pointed this out years ago. I might even mention it in one of the, you know, uh, Quick and Dirty Guide to Wars books. That if you look at the ethnic map of China, you'll find China is surrounded by smaller ethnicities. You know, outside of China, many of them are ethnic Chinese who fled the empire. In other words, the only choice you have when the empire comes your way is to move. To go. That's why America has this isolationist tradition. Uh, my, United States, except for the original, you know, American Indian population, which was decimated, you know, long before the colonists came here. People don't realize this. They talk about oh, the diseases killing all the Indians. Yeah, but <laughs> the 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 truth is in the in the, in the detail. Uh, if you go back and read the tales, you know, the accounts of the colonists. Uh, most of the Indians died off before the massive colonists got there. It only took a few. I mean, if the Vikings had brought some people with smallpox with them and measles, <laughs> which generally didn't survive, you know, open ocean voyages in those ships of theirs, uh, you know, the the the, uh, the the Indian population in the Americas might have been immunized or had as much immunity as the Europeans when the when the great mass of Europeans, you know, showed up. And, and history might have been quite different. But it, what if, you know, that's that's just fiction, uh, not reality. But what is reality is exploding nationalism. That's why a lot of Americans are upset with all this, uh, you know, multiculturalism. There's no such thing, you know, uh, politically as multiculturalism. Culturalism. You're simply, you know, tearing your country. If you've got a country that has made peace with multiple cultures, and there are a handful, uh, Swiss did it, becoming, you know, basically um, uh, tr- tremendously affluent and having a nation in arms. Every adult male keeps an assault rifle at home. Everybody basically has to has to stand to if there's a war. And they stayed out of war for two centuries. So that's how they did it. Uh, Belgium is still a work in progress. Canada still has problem with the French. They, they said, all right, you don't have to be absorbed. Uh, and that just means the French pol- Franco, uh, phone politicians in Quebec have a license to raise the you know, uh, separate state 
uh, flag anytime they're in big trouble or feeling particularly adventurous. Uh, that's what that's a, that's a that's one of the fundamental uh, issues that most a lot of politicians don't want to admit in the United States. You know the uh, the the uncontrolled. Um, uh, immigration, as well as an educational system that basically puts you know emphasis on grievances and ethnic differences, and not on becoming an American who gets along with everybody. Uh, you know, we tend to forget our successes and concentrate on real or imagined you know problems. Uh, but you know, in any country uh, that was was, uh, was titled like the United States, Canada not as much as the United States, Australia, New Zealand, and what have you, uh, they basically eventually come around and saying, look, you got to become an Australian. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The Europeans are doing the same thing. They're now making it mandatory. If you want to be a permanent a citizen of, of Netherlands, you got to learn to speak Dutch. you got to learn to obey our laws. you got to basically learn to at least pretend to be a Dutchman. Uh, even the Germans are coming with that, which is ironic, because like most European countries, Germany had a law, and most other European countries do it, where citizenship is based on what they call blood. Uh, hey, you know, the Nazis made that look real bad, which it often is. Uh, but basically, there is no birthright citizenship. Uh, it's very difficult to become a citizen. citizen. In Japan, it's almost impossible. Uh, in fact, the, 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 the most racist countries on the planet are East Asians, but that's a whole other story. Uh, and, uh, you know, we tend to forget how important a role that plays in a lot of the unrest around the world. We pointed out in strategy page because when you dig down to any war going on anywhere, it's basically ethnicity or real estate or the two combined. Uh, and so, you know, that's very, you know, it's, it's there right in front of you, but a lot of people don't like to admit it because basically it's messy. It's much easier to sit back and invent other reasons and another and other solutions which, uh, you know, are basically more profitable and less less, prob- less of a problem uh, to deal with. And so, I mean, you know, it's not just a problem for Ukraine. It's a problem for the world. Some countries are just better at dealing with it, you know, than others. Look, ethnicity too. I think this is worth making a a point on. There's also an elastic notion of ethnicity, but other differences come into play. And here I'm thinking about Croatia, uh, Serbia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, where uh, they're really all Southern Slavs, Serbs, but Croats are are Catholics and they use Latin script. Serbs are, are Orthodox, and they use uh, Cyrillic, and uh, Bosnians, well, they're, the Bosniaks are, are Muslims, and, uh, but they're all really one ethnic group. You wouldn't know that, given the, the enmity about it, but... Uh, up and well, and, that up is, and that is stoked by politicians. When I, all these ethnicities come to the United States, they get along. Yeah, and I, that, Not because they haven't got a choice, but a large, to a large extent, because they haven't got their their own their their own country ethnic politicians, you know, coming in and saying, "Oh, they're they're oppressing, you know, us Bosnians in Chicago. We must do something." Two arms doesn't work. Well, we've but look, got a lot of American intellectuals, whatever you want to call them, who say, "Yeah, sure." You know, let's have a let's have a little Europe of the United States. Well, good luck with that. 
we've we've seen that happen since the uh, Yugoslav War of devolution here in the United States. Even here in uh, in Texas, where uh, some Bosniaks, uh, more Bosniak refugees that I'm aware of were resettled, but there were also Serbs and some Croats. And heck, they all basically speak. I know Serbo-Croat, but Serb, uh, uh, Serbian are, uh, are are dead, and they get along fine in places like you know. Uh, Houston really is a, a multi-ethnic city, but it's got the pressure on it there of oh, no, the pressure. The, the uh, economic opportunity is something that uh, erases a lot of these barriers. And Jim, you already mentioned that with one of the Switzerland successes. Let's get rich. And they all, and their other requirement, which is everybody's got to d- d- defend uh, uh, the state. We don't have that here in the United States anymore, but you still have a chance to get rich. And as that's something that, you know, let's, let's leave the, uh, this gets back to what your point earlier, Jim, about you know, coming to the U.S. Let's leave those old divisions behind. Uh, sometimes it's hard to do, and then we do, unfortunately, have our own politicians here who mine, M-I-N-E, grievances, because what it does is it, it, it gives them a, a, a passionate edge, they think, in an election. And that's... Uh, <sighs> Well, Does that ultimately the bloodshed? It could. I'm not saying it. I don't, I don't believe that's going to happen. Well, there's, there's, there's two things going on here. One, people misunderstand why people came to America. Uh, they came to America mainly to survive. Uh, they, the, uh, people don't like to leave their homeland. I mean, that's general, you know, and most people don't. Uh, but like the, the, the Eastern European Jews, the anti-Semitism had reached pretty much, you know, scary proportions. So for a lot of them, especially <laughs> before World War II, uh, get out or die. Uh, now, you die slowly, you know, before, you know, the 19th century. The program, program may or may not get at you, but people just don't like to live under that kind of pressure. And they, re- and they hear stories about it. You go to America, you can be, they won't kill you for being a Jew. Well, maybe in some parts of the country they will, but uh, that they in basically, and you had economic freedom. I mean, the streets weren't paved with gold, but they were paved with opportunity. And people basically got rich, so to speak, first relatively to, to the old world, but then they realized, Hey, I can vote, and 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 the laws are, are fairly, you know, uh, enforced, you know, in this country compared to the old country. Uh, but Americans tend to they tend to forget that, and you know, the that's why the uh, recent immigrant has an economic advantage because they're hungry. They're basically they've been they've been operating under a huge <coughs> load, as it were, uh, uh, back in the old country, and suddenly they hear the freedom, you know, uh, go and they go. Uh, but then the kids grow up and they say, oh, I, geez, I don't have to go to work after you know after school when I'm 14 years old or or work full time when I'm 14. I can basically goof around. I can go to college, you know. And of course, the government conveniently gave them an opportunity to go heavily into debt, <laughs> so they. They, they really couldn't prosper as, as their as their parents have, and, and nobody wants to admit how that worked out. It was a great political plan, and it made a lot of colleges rich because basically they got into an arms race, you know, knowing that pe- the kids could just take on bigger loans, they'd get paid, uh, and they just created this huge infrastructure in the colleges, which were less about teaching and more about having more highly paid uh, college employees, most of them not instructors. Uh, so, you know, you see how... Uh, 
Thomas Jefferson, he saw this. He pointed out you need a revolution every 20 years. And basically, he wasn't talking about, you know, a, a you know, burn the place down revolution. He was talking about, you know, chuck the bums out revolution. Yeah. Oh, no, that's that's exactly right. Je- Jefferson was not advocating going around shooting your fellow citizens. But he understood the role of corruption. Yep. Uh, it was going on in England. And England, for example, is one of those states that periodically purges itself. We do it, you know, uh, not frequently enough, but it happens. Uh, and but the, you know, the 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 entrenched interests, as it were, the people who are making money off the uh, non-productive ways of doing government uh, or the counterproductive, they say, well, no, come on, man. You know, we got a good thing going here. Uh, that's a refrain I've heard from people tempting where they go to work for a uh, a nonprofit or a government organization and they're and they're and they're basically eager, eager beavers. And somebody pulls them aside and says, hey, look, don't be so enthusiastic. It makes us look bad. I mean, I heard that again and again. And, you know, anybody who's tried to do business with the government face to face, like getting your license renewed, gets reminded of that periodically. Well, look, just to bring this back uh, to a point I made earlier about Ukraine, because we're starting to run long. I'm just looking at the time up here. Uh, There were reformers in Ukraine as soon as the Soviet Union broke up that knew something about some of the possibilities of where where democracy could go. They got squelched. They got undermined. Some of it, uh, I think, was was due to, especially in the uh, uh, late 90s, uh, to Russian finagling. And after the Orange Revolution, I think the Orange Revolution scared uh, Putin uh, very much. Uh, the, The thing is, is that why did they move in 2014? I think they thought they could get away with it. Uh, they didn't get away with it. And one other thing we uh, ought to point out too, geostrategically, you've got <laughs> probably majorities in Sweden and Finland of, of the of voting age adults who would just as soon join NATO. And for all practical purposes, they have, uh, and without doing it overtly, given all the military exercises in the Baltic area that involve uh, NATO, uh, so-called bilaterally or trilaterally with Sweden and Finland. And if you don't think that is uh, a blowback uh, to the to the Kremlin, it's a heavy-duty blowback. Yeah, then something else we get out of all this, which again we pointed out in strategy page, is empires that still exist that haven't been torn to pieces, like the the, the German Empire and the and the Austro-Hungarian Empire, but the uh, the Turkish Empire. Uh, that's why they they jokingly call you know Erdogan you know Sultan Erdogan the first. Uh, and well, they call, him, they call him Sultan Recep because they do, the Sultan gets called by his first name. That okay. Sultan. But any, anyway, he is he is basically uh, doing that and doing it very badly, and so hopefully that'll end poorly for him and they'll return to their Ataturk days. But you see it happening in in Iran where the current half the current population is not ethnic Iranian and they want to expand that. Uh, China China was always an empire. They fell on hard times when they didn't keep up with technology and political changes and they're still suffering from that uh and and of course the uh the current you know chinese communist uh, you know you know dynasty as you were let's, let's call it what it is no that is uh, I mean, uh, china's an emperor he's a, yeah, exactly and a lot of people and and one i think one mistake as it were one good thing the uh, the chinese did to get them out of the mess they created with the, uh, the adopting communism which killed you know, 40, 50 million Chinese, nobody pays attention. But anyway, the uh, Chinese, remember, uh, was that, all right, it's good to get rich. That was Deng uh, in the 80s. And, but 
realize, not realizing or not basically taking into account how important that would be to the political future of China. Because when you got all those middle class and wealthier Chinese, you know, uh, running an empire becomes a lot more difficult. Well, they, so the, they, they want to go to, you know, to, to Hawaii or, or London and, you know, well, rock not only like that, but, but they, they want to say. And what happens? And that's sure. why I think a lot of my pundits are saying, with some accuracy, that the coronavirus uh, may be the, the, you know, the the, the final blow uh, to the uh, the communist, the Maoist, the, the dynasty, uh, because that's always in the past. That's what brought about major revolutions in China. Now it just replaced one dynasty with another, but it was usually, you know, a nationwide disaster that the emperor, who was supposed to be the anointed of God, whether it be, you know, Karl Marx or, you know, the celestial kingdom, uh, uh, demonstrated that they did not have the mandate of heaven. Uh, they were basically failures, and so we needed something new. And, of course, what the Chinese communists are worried about, the next thing new, is let's be all like Hong Kong. And, and, that, and people were saying that in, in Guangdong, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the, that very prosperous province next north of Hong Kong. Uh, that was starting to break out. That got suppressed. But people were demonstrating, saying, you know, we are Hong Kongers. Uh, and that's, uh, that's the Chinese nightmare. And that's the Putin nightmare. You know, as the old, the punch, the old uh, Cold War era Russian punchline to a joke which has many, you know, setups was, what if the Reds come back? <laughs> and, and, and the basic setup was basically some communist bureaucrat, even the, you know, the, the head guy was showing off his grandmother, all his riches and what have you. And she said, oh, it's very nice, but what if the Reds come back? Yeah. Because well, with age comes wisdom. <laughs> all right. Hey, Dan. Let's, yeah, it's uh, time to wrap it up. Uh, we'll talk to you gentlemen next time. Bye. Take, Take care, care, guys. Bye.